Hello everyone, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you find yourself around the world when stumbling upon this episode. Welcome, this is The Early Insight. I am your host, Brandon, and welcome to the podcast. First and foremost, a huge thank you to everyone who put up with my tomfoolery and shenanigans on Instagram over the last several weeks. I, I don't know if I would personally call it spamming, but uh, let's be honest, <laughs> I didn't exactly uh, act shy about posting about this project. So I was really excited to get it off the ground. I was even more thrilled when I started getting a lot of participation, not only from people that I don't really talk to on a regular basis, but who took the time out of their day to send me a message and say, hey, I really like the idea of this. Let me go ahead and give you my two cents on a question that you know you may have put downrange. And I definitely did do that. I, uh, I had reached out to you guys via Instagram several weeks ago, and I had asked, I guess it was actually probably a couple of months ago now that I think about it. <laughs> the days have kind of blended together recently. Uh, it's made me lose track of time. But anyway, so about two months ago, I had asked for a... I want to say kind of an insight as to some of the things you wish you would have learned or knew about when you were younger that would have saved you a lot of headache and uh, perhaps just, you know, a lot of inconvenience later on down the road. I got some really great responses from that. And then moving forward, I really got a lot of great responses from you guys when I put up the, the poll for the name of the show. I, I cannot thank you guys enough for that. So it did come down to the wire. You guys did make it interesting, and we, we ultimately settled on the early insight. So here we are. But as I said before, fret not. If your decision or, excuse me, if your if your name selection didn't make the cut of the final decision, don't fret. We have plans for those names coming up in subsections and specific segments of the show in the weeks to come. So I'm really excited to bring that to you guys. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it. This is episode one, baby. This is where it all begins. And I got to tell you, if you can't tell already, I am stoked to bring this to you. Uh, when I was putting this show together and putting the idea of a podcast together, one of the questions that and pieces of feedback that I really got from some of you was that you really dug the idea of the show, or at least the launching of a podcast. But then a lot of people wanted to know, well, what is this about? Well, it's quite simple. This project was uh, something I came up with it about two and a half, maybe three years ago, really. Um, the idea of a podcast, frankly, is nothing new. These things have been around for a long time at this point. But specifically, I had realized that one day, and this he had probably says about two and a half, three years ago, and then I'm thinking about it. So I was looking back on some of the things that I had done, experienced, and Uh, met head-on challenge-wise in my 20s, and I realized that there were a lot of things that I came up against that I I wasn't prepared for and I didn't have any early warning on. Now, that's not to say that I didn't have a really great, strong uh, social support system, you know, giving me the tools I needed to succeed as I was going through my more formidable years and uh, early, early years in education. So I don't want to get that confused right off the get-go. But I, what I mean to say is, is that there are a lot of things that simply you cannot learn in books, right? Nobody tells you how many times you're going to have to apply for a job for the very first time when you're either coming out of college or the amount of research that's going to be needed to make your first uh, career step if you choose to go into a trade where you have to work more with your hands because that's where your skill set is. Now, again, to be clear, I know plenty of 
very successful and very, um, very happy people in the trade world. In fact, I envy a lot of them. Two of them off the top of my head are a couple of really good friends of mine. One is a, uh, I guess he would call himself a, let's see. He gave me the title and it, it, <laughs> the name actually escapes me, but essentially what it is, he's a leather craftsman, right? So he actually makes, uh, I believe he said it was, he does a lot of custom leather work, but where his bread and butter and his focus on some of the more recent projects has coincidentally been, has been that of billfolds and wallets and other, you know, various leather accessories. And He's gotten to refine his craft over the years, and he's made a name for himself. He also dabbles in a couple of other uh, great uh, craftsmanship skills, um, and I look forward to having him on the show in the coming weeks. Another young man that I know is very successful in his own right and had a very similar situation where he was met with a lot of challenges that a lot of people didn't prepare him for in his 20s. And then through those challenges and those those uncertainties, he realized that perhaps the traditional nine to five wasn't for him. And he went off and forged his own business. And in fact, he's been running that business for the last, I'd say probably two and a half, three years, coincidentally. So yet another person that we're going to have on the show uh, a little bit later in the coming weeks. But to get back on topic here, I wanted to start this podcast because I felt like there were a lot of things that myself, a couple of my really good friends, as well as several other uh, really successful and really uh, brilliant young men uh, overcame in their 20s. And as they look back, they were like, man, I, I really wish that I would have at least gotten a heads up on this. Not because I would have avoided the challenge at all, but it would have helped me plan a little bit better for it, right? Because you still have to go through certain, I guess, lived experiences in order to help you become the best version of yourself. And we'll get into how you can go about doing that, or at least some of the first steps that you can take to, in, to ensure that you're becoming the, best, the, very, the very best version of yourself that you can. Oh my goodness, I can't talk today. This is going to be a fun episode one, so you guys bear with me. So um, bringing this back home, I remember going to going to college and everybody has the the wide-eyed experience of oh I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this and there is there's a plan that works really really well on paper, right? You're going to school, you're going to get good grades, you're going to have, you know, excellent entry-level credentials to get a good job when you get out of school. All of that. <clears throat> but one of the biggest problems that I noticed was I studied hard. I kept my nose in the books. I stayed away from unnecessary partying and, you know, I I didn't really socialize a whole lot. And I got down to the end of my tenureship and I went to go apply for jobs and I found it really difficult to get noticed by companies and I couldn't figure out why. And it was almost a point of stress, right? And I looked around and I was like, I really can't be the only one that has an issue with this. And I went to go talk with one of my best friends who, well, now is my best friend. I I met him in graduate school and he and I, honestly, I lost track of the number of times that we had this conversation. Now he had done very well for himself from an academic standpoint up to the, up to the point where I met him um, and continued to do so as, as the years progressed. 
But when I first met him, he was in an MBA program at the uh, university we both attended. And he was studying finance. He wanted to um, do something in the financial world, although I think at the time he wasn't entirely sure what it was. So, But he also got the chance to uh, carry out and be uh, involved in a congressional internship in Washington, D.C., so he went off and did that for probably four or five months, and he came back, and it was a really great experience for him. And when he started applying for positions, what he found was that he was running into the same obstacles that I was. And ironically, with a lot of the companies that were trying to headhunt him before he was done with his, his graduate program. And it was interesting, too, because he, he had sent a lot of resumes out there. He had made sure... He had ensured that his resumes were finely tuned, that they were specific to the position that he was applying for. We were both executing the same uh, planning techniques, and we were both we were both tailoring our credentials and our experiences to match the entry level positions that we were we were applying for. But we kept turning uh, we we kept turning down roads and, and coming up on dead ends, and it was really discouraging after a while. And we realized, okay, well, this has to be one of two things: either there's something wrong with us or our approach is wrong. Well, while while there were definitely things that we could have improved on personally at that stage in our life, what we didn't realize was that this was also part of the process, right? So one of the things I would, <laughs> at the very least, if you take nothing else from this first podcast, you younger cats out there, uh, if you're just starting out and you just graduated high school, you're coming up on your, your graduation and you're unsure about what steps you want to take um, and you know that you have to do something at least productive with your life in the months to come before you get a plan in place, just know that one, it's okay if you don't have everything figured out. I'm going to let you know that right now. I know guys that are older than me that still don't have it figured out. But the difference is, is that they're also not actively really trying to figure out what steps they need to take to improve their lot in life. But that's a different su- that's a different subject altogether, and we can get to that um, in uh, future episodes. But I had the same conversation with my best friend multiple times, and what was shocking about it was that he, I felt, he had much more of a rich background and um, richer academic background, I should say. With respects to experience, expertise, knowledge set, everything. And he'll also tell you on the other side that he felt the same way about me. So I guess when the sideways comparison, it always seems like the person standing next to you has always got it better than what you have. So the next thing I would encourage you to do is don't do sideways comparisons, right? Because that's going to discourage you more than any amount of rejection ever will. Right. And especially it's really easy to fall into that trap, too, in the day and age of social media when Instagram's the highlight reel or Facebook is, you know, you post the best and the brightest. It's really easy to get lost in the facade and forget that a lot of the things that people choose to post about themselves on Instagram are the highlights. Right. Now, for some of you, this is old news. For some of y'all, this is old knowledge. And for some of you, this may be something that you've already heard, but you may have forgotten about, which is cool. So I'd encourage you not to do a sideways comparison because it's a, it's a very easy trap to fall into. 
and become very, very demoralized very, very quickly, right? So you don't want to do that. So I realized that at the end of my 20s, I had, I had taken a lot of risks from a career standpoint. And one of the things that I was, I was very pleased with was that in my 20s, when I had completed school and I began to look at what I wanted to do with my life, right? I had a lot of questions. I wasn't sure what I wanted to pursue. I wasn't sure where I exactly fit in the world. I knew that I had this skill set and I knew that I was good at some things and I knew I needed to work on others. And quite honestly, I felt very similar to the way I did when I graduated high school. It was the same questions. Like, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to pursue? What, you know, what am I going to find fulfillment and purpose in? And these are, these are definitely important questions. One that we, you know, we all must answer for ourselves. So again, keep in mind, if you're just coming up to your graduation and you're like, man, I don't feel like I have any idea what I'm going to be doing with my life. How do I get a plan in place? First of all, remember, breathe. It's okay. You put it into perspective you're probably not as bad off as you think you are, considering the fact that probably, what, one, two, three weeks ago, you were asking to get permission to use the bathroom by your teacher? I mean, come on. Or from your teacher, I should say. You know, come on. Put it into perspective. You're not as bad off as you may think, right? So the question is, okay, well, what do I do? Well, if you want to take a year off, if, if that is what you're pursuing and that is what you're wanting to do just to get a break from school, Try to get into an industry that you have some type of interest in, right? So here's what you can do. You sit down one day and you make a list of all the things that you know you're good at, whether it be skill sets, whether it be personality traits, whether it be interests, hobbies, whatever, right? So if you know a lot about, let's say, working out, right? One of the things you might be able to do is go off and learn more about how to become a personal trainer, right? Maybe this is something that you pursue for a little bit. And in the process, you get introduced to other avenues that would ultimately lead you to where you need to be. Or perhaps you have an interest in editing music and organizing parties. Okay. Well, there are organizations out in major cities that love to get new work from DJs and event promoters as well as entertainment industries or excuse me entertainment districts in major cities that are always looking for new talent right so maybe that's a route to go so you really have to realize kind of what your skill sets are and what your hobbies are and what you're good at and what you enjoy doing because sometimes when you find what it is you enjoy doing oftentimes if if you look at those interests that you have in this day and age where so much exposure can be done through social media and through the internet it's very easy to tap into those skills and leverage them and provide a service to the community that you find yourself right now keep in mind too all the things that you may be interested in may not necessarily lead you to the lifestyle that you want to have so if you want to you know, if you want to be making, you know, six figures based on, you know, something that 
interests you, you have to be realistic about what that interest is. You know, if your interest is to go off and you know, I, I've come across, I've, I've come across some folks that have the weirdest hobbies, right? There was this one guy that I, I, I talked to briefly and one of his interests was, I kid you not on this, um, painting rocks and making different designs on them. That, that was his thing. Now, I mean, there, I'm sure there is a market out there for custom gardens and everything else. And I mean, he was kind of looking at landscape architecture. But no matter what you're interested in, you have to, you have to ask yourself, is there a way that I can use this to serve the community around me? Because here's the thing. If you can see a need in the lives of other people, if you can tailor the skill set that you have to offer a service that is going to somehow enhance the quality of their life, not only are you going to be able to refine your skill set and hone in on your craftsmanship on that, but you're also going to learn a lot about business very, very quickly, right? So if you don't have a plan in place, that's not a big deal. It's important to have it, but it's also not the end of the world if you don't. So make a list figure out what your skill sets are, maybe a couple of things that you don't quite understand, or maybe one or two things that you wish you knew more about with respects to, let's say, building a business, online exposure, marketing, and then find a way to go about learning more about those and then how to join those two, the interests and the things you have still yet to learn, right? Because that's at least going to get you started in the right direction. Right. So moving on, um, one of the things that I, I was first presented with, uh, the first real scary challenge, if you will, of my 20s, I had gotten done with school and I was working for a marketing agency at the time. And it was in-store promotion. So we had clients that were typically found in the electronic sections. These were companies in the photography industry in the computer industry, in the gaming industry. So a lot of the times, if you walk into, let's say, you know, Target, Walmart, whatever the case may be, and you see, you know, banners hanging from the ceiling, advertising the latest video game coming out, or, you know, a cutout poster, or some kind of stand showing you some type of promotional material about the latest camera that's coming out, the latest laptop, whatever. Um, the company that I worked for, we, we managed that and we helped execute marketing in stores on behalf of our clients uh, for that purpose. And so it, it was interesting. I got to work really, really well, or I get to work really, really closely with um, a lot of the folks in these stores. And, and what was amazing about it is that how, how well I was able to work with these folks. And so that was the first realization that I had that I needed to be working with people. I was a very social person. I am a pretty social person. Uh, I like to get to know what gets people out of bed in the morning besides the need to go to the bathroom and get a cup of coffee. And what I realized is that when, when you take a genuine interest in not only the work you do, but how the work you do can help improve somebody else's life, whether it be executing a marketing campaign in a certain way inside of a store that alleviates some of the headache that let's say one of the employees has about being able to push the product in the back so that they can make room for a new shipment of material that's coming in in two weeks. If you have a plan 
right? Or you have a solution to a problem that they are currently facing. And you genuinely approach them and go, hey man, you know what? I got you on this. If you show that genuine interest, it is going to get repaid back to you tenfold. I promise you that. That was one of the biggest things that I learned in my 20s. But going back to going back to the story, right? I was doing this marketing thing. It was it was fun. It was interesting. Um, I got to engage with people. I really got to um, learn more and more about various electronics as well as the ins and outs of the consumer industry, right? It was a lot of fun. I loved it. But unfortunately, me coming out of school, it wasn't sustainable. And I needed to find something that was going to elevate not only the amount of income that I had, but also uh, elevate my skill set and cause me to step up to that next platform and become a much more refined professional. And I got that opportunity about six months after I graduated. And there was this company up in Illinois and they said, hey, we got your resume and we think you'd be a good candidate for this position we have. When can we schedule an interview? And I was like, man, this is awesome. So I interviewed with this company. I had a couple of phone interviews. Uh, one, I believe, was a Skype call. It was a video teleconference thing. And the company was like, yeah, let's fly you out. We're going to do a you know, your face-to-face interview with our, the president of our company, and we'll go from there. I was like, all right, cool. So they flew me out. I stayed in this hotel. Um, that was actually coincidentally right behind their headquarters building in the Hoffman Estates area. Now, if you're not familiarized with the layout of Illinois, Hoffman Estates and the Schaumburg area are roughly 45 minutes west of Chicago proper, right? So I, I was working with, or I was interviewing with a company that I would later go to work for and I showed up to Chicago for the first time. Now, I'm a huge history buff, too. So flying in, like, I knew at certain point that if I got hooked up with this company, that Chicago was more or less going to be in my backyard, geographically speaking. And I was going to get to go see the stomping grounds at Capone. So I was overjoyed about this. And it that, <laughs> that level of excitement for the possibility of being able to be in the same town as you know, one of the most notorious gangsters in American history, I, I thought was one of the coolest things. And that overrode any amount of anxiety or fear that I had about a lot of the unknown variables that came along with this opportunity. Now you're sitting there thinking, we're like, well, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. So I had had jobs before. I knew that you had to travel. I knew you had to commute, but Texas to uh, Texas to Illinois. I mean, that's one heck of a commute. That's like 1500 something miles in, you know, 12 hours or vice versa. I, it's been a while, but obviously you're going to be spending more than 12 hours in the car. Like that's not a reasonable commute, which means I've got to move up to Illinois. So I'm moving halfway across the country for my very first job, my very first career opportunity to be a medical device technician. I was so excited. And uh, I took everything I had financially and uh, possession-wise that I had from school. I took what I needed, and I just I, I went. Now, before I left for Illinois, I had to go to a friend's wedding. I I was I was one of the groomsmen. I kind of had to show up, and and that'll come into play here in a little bit. So I get all the way up to Illinois, 
and I get settled in and the company tells me, well, it's a three month training process. So the first month you're going to be learning uh, the science behind what we do. And month two is going to be more of the troubleshooting of the devices themselves to better the quality of life for our clients. And then month three is going to be more of the sales aspect. So you're going to learn how to combine the, the last two months into the sales aspect. And then we're also going to get you licensed in the process. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I've got this. So I got the opportunity to go up there. Now, I mean, traveling from Texas to Illinois in a matter of two days because their wedding happened to be two days before I was supposed to show up for like day one, right? So I get done with the wedding the very next morning after the wedding reception, I drive to Illinois, right? And I didn't know what my living situation was going to look like. I didn't know what the, as stupid as this sounds, I didn't know what the state tax laws look like, looked like, because again, you have to think you get income in that state. You have to pay, uh, you have to pay taxes on that income in that state. If state income tax is a thing, right? So that's something you also have to look into. So that was a completely new territory for me. So I was like, man, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know, but thankfully the internet's a thing. So it kind of helps out. So there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of, there was a lot of excitement that I had because this was going to be a new chapter. This was something that I had, I had wanted for over a year and I had stressed about, I had questioned, you know, whether I was good enough, um, any number of things. Any number of things that would easily take you down a rabbit hole into negative and more destructive and just counter counterproductive thoughts. A year of keeping those at bay. And this was my big opportunity. I was so excited. I was like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is it. Let's go. And what I found was that that, that nervousness subsided the closer I got to Illinois, right? Because I got out of Texas... Uh, excuse me, I, I passed the state lines. I got into the Texarkana area. If you're not familiarized with it, it's, it's the small part where Arkansas, the, the state border of Arkansas and Texas meet, right? And they call it Texarkana. So I'm driving through Texarkana and I go through Arkansas and I make my way all the way up to Illinois and, um, I make it there for my first day. We start training. I go through, you know, all three months and then I get to the sales, uh, the sales side of things. And, I realized, unfortunately, that this opportunity that I was really, really looking forward to was not going to be for me. Now, there were a lot of reasons that that realization hit me in month three. And a lot of it was because of the way the company broke up their training, right? But I was so excited. And then I was really disappointed when I realized it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't because I wasn't good at the job. It wasn't because I didn't understand the material. It wasn't because I was a terrible you know, technician. It was, I couldn't agree with the sales tactics, right? I couldn't agree with the, what I perceived to be emotional exploitation uh, from this company with their clients, right? Because the sales tactic right? The sales tactic was, you know, if, if you really, if you really harp on the concern that either the caregiver has for the individual that has the hearing loss, or you really focus in on, you know, 
the danger that they're setting themselves up for, you're able to make that sale a lot easier, right? Now, there was also science that was back, you know, that was that was behind hearing loss. There was an article that this company used uh, from uh, Johns Hopkins University, I believe, that focused in on how early hearing loss was also uh, correlated to, or at least, you know, the study that we were given had stated that the the early onset of hearing loss was also correlated with the early onset of Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, I had already watched two of my family members um, at a young age uh, go through that, or at least I remember watching them go through that uh, when I was in uh, my younger years. I think I was, I I wasn't even in the double digits yet, I don't think, age-wise. And so I, I knew the effects that that had on a person. And I was, I was even more motivated to help these people because I, I didn't want to see somebody else go through what I had watched my family members and my family go through. Um, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And, and that was the big motivator. I was like, man, if I can help keep this thing at bay, just in some little part, like this is going to be the fulfillment that I'm looking for. And then to be absolutely disappointed and feel like I had to start from ground zero again or back at square one when I realized I had to part ways with the company because I couldn't get on board with the way they did business. Now, it was a mutual parting for sure because the company was like, yeah, we don't think you're really for us. And I was like, hey, you know what? I get it. And quite frankly, if, you know, if this is the way you guys do business, you know, maybe I don't need to be a part of this. Now, at the time, I wasn't thinking as clearly as that because I had just dipped everything that I had financially, everything that I had saved up with the grad stipend or what was left over from the grad stipend that I had, as well as, you know, the, the money that I was making working part-time uh, in this marketing gig because the marketing gig was going, was coinciding with me, or excuse me, was coinciding with me going to school. And so it worked out. But now... And the chips are down and it really mattered. I needed something much more full-time as a stabilized career. And I dipped everything I had into this. And it was, you know, it was, it was a huge, huge learning experience. And so I drove back to Texas and I, and I, oh my gosh, that, that drive back to Texas was probably one of the longest, um, drives that I've ever had in my life. And I've made some road trips, mind you, but leaving that opportunity that I thought was going to be, you know, how I defined my life and how I defined my career. It was demoralizing. Like it really, really was. Um, the drive back to Texas was a long one. And I remember driving back feeling like I didn't have, you know, any kind of, um, you know, purpose or drive or focus in life. And it sucked. It really did. I got back to Texas and I, and I hung out with family for about a month. I, I went back and, you know, visited with them cause I already had, you know, two or three weeks that I had coming to me for vacation time from this company that I had planned on using to go see my family anyway. So it worked out. And so while I was back, I, I did what I knew how to do, which was send my resume out, um, in bulk, um, to various organizations, companies, so on and so forth. And one day, the, um, the, the groom of the wedding 
of whose wedding I attended uh, right before leaving for Illinois calls me up and he goes, hey, man, he said, um, do you remember my sister from from my wedding? I was like, yeah, I mean, she was, you know, I mean, yeah, she was there and she's part of your family, of course. And he goes, well, the reason I ask, he said, is that her company is looking for a guy that's got, you know, um, who's looking to get his foot in the door. And I know you just made it back to Texas. Um, you know, do you want to give this a shot? Now, I think at one point in time, I, I think I had, I had calculated that I sent off probably 75 resumes, or I had sent off my resume to 75 different companies in the course of like three or four weeks, right? And I got responses back from none of them. Like, so I was like, yeah, if they're looking for somebody, I'm more than happy to go through this application process. That's fine. So I ultimately ended up starting my career and building the early years of my professional uh, professional life in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. But I say all that to say that when you're just starting out, it can seem really, really confusing with respects to which way you should go, which path you should take, which which direction you should steer your life. Now, if... You know, if you are of a, a faith-based background, um, you know, I'm sure many people told you, you know, well, just pray about it and something. Yeah, there, there is that. Um, and sometimes it can feel like, you know, that the answer is just not coming uh, fast enough for you. If you're not of a faith-based background, that's cool too. I would still, uh, I, I would tell you that it can still be challenging because when you're making a list of all the characteristics and all the skills that you have, it can be sometimes be very difficult to discern where and how you can leverage those skills in the business in the business world and really help forge your career, right? But one of the biggest things that I learned on this is by taking this opportunity in Illinois, even though it didn't work out, what I realized was, is that I was willing to take that risk and step into the complete unknown, the absolute complete unknown in the name of forging ahead and finding not only my own success, but also bringing a sense of purpose and fulfillment to my life. And in doing that, I actually learned more about what I wanted out of what I ultimately wanted out of my career and what I also didn't want out of my career. And that's equally important too. Now, where I ultimately ended up, we'll get into that in later episodes, but the career path that I ultimately chose and that I ultimately got into was one that one I had dreamed about as a kid and found myself slowly and slowly edging my way back towards right? It's kind of funny. Now, here's what I mean by this. You always get asked when you're a kid, well, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, some of us will say firemen, others will say police officers. I knew a couple of kids in school that said a giraffe. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're actually tall. I don't know. Um, I don't think they fully understood the question, but you know, I hope they're doing well. But it's interesting because how many times do we hear of the story of someone knowing what they wanted to do when they were a kid and somehow through them, you know, through their, their many travels and their the goings on in life, 
they try different avenues and then they ultimately come back to the thing that they said that they wanted to do when they were a kid but had since forgotten about it yeah think about that think about it because what this leads us to believe right or at least what this because that thought stuck with me and I remember thinking I'm like you know you may not get it right on the first go around you may not and sometimes the things that we want to be as when we're kids you know simply aren't realistic you know, I wanted to be a bear wrestling Jedi, and then I got older and I realized that, you know, wrestling bears probably wasn't the safest thing in the world. So I had to scrap that idea altogether, you know. But on a serious note, right, you have this idea of the type of life you want to live. And over time, I feel that many of us lose sight of that childhood wonder and that childhood excitement of becoming that idea of what we wanted to be when we were kids. And sometimes that childhood wonder and that childhood aspiration finds its way to cut through all of the adulting that we have to do and almost takes us by the hand like a little kid with their parent and drag them down the cereal aisle, I think, is proper analogy. I'm not a parent, so I don't know. But I've seen it plenty of times in grocery stores, okay? Let me tell you. Like, they are adamant. These kids are adamant about showing their parents, like, yo, this is what I want to nom on on Saturday morning. And some are a little bit more diplomatic about it than others. Uh, other kids tend to be a little louder, but I mean, that's why you have noise canceling headphones. If you're not associated with the kid and you're not the guardian, you're like, oh, I'm going to pop this in here. So I'll have to listen to this kid scream and you go about your day and you're happy for the most part until you see that that kid grabbed the last box of cereal that you were going for. In which case now you have to punt him across the aisle and then, you know, try to explain to his mom why, you know, does anyway, anyway. Which, by the way, I don't advocate that. Please don't go off and actually try this inside of a grocery store and be like, yeah, I heard it on a podcast. No, absolutely not. So getting back to the story. So I, I got back to Texas and I took a look at the experiences that I had in Illinois. And what I realized was is that I didn't have as much of a sense of dread as I did when I first graduated because I knew off of the experiences that I had had, not only the odd jobs that I had working in college to like help pay for textbooks and such, but off of the part-time experiences and this risk that I had taken to move halfway across the country on a career opportunity and have the opportunity to test just how resourceful I could be with respect to sourcing information, figuring out a plan of how to adjust in a new environment where I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any lifelines. And the closest lifeline I had was like 12 and a half hours away in a car ride, you know, so the stakes are high. You have to rise to the challenge. But I realized that I had not taken that had I not taken that opportunity when I got the chance, I wouldn't have been one step closer to ultimately doing what I wanted to do. And sometimes that's all it takes. Your first choice, the first thing that you go with that you think is going to get you to that point of fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose in life may not necessarily be the thing that you end up doing that helps you achieve those things. But 
what I did find was that I had a clear understanding of what I wanted to do. And that helped me kind of fight off those feelings of dread. Now, it was still pretty strong and prevalent. Don't get me wrong. But it was not as much and not as heavy as it once was. And that was the encouraging part, right? So when I got back to Texas, there were a couple of other things that I learned that really helped me kind of figure out what my place was and how I needed to go about really getting in touch with the community around me to help me figure out exactly what I needed to be doing and how to leverage the skills that I knew that I had for my own success as well as my own personal, professional, and social development. Right. And so one of the things that I would I would eagerly encourage everybody to do, whether you're starting off as a young craftsman, uh, whether you're going into uh, carpentry, welding, automotive mechanics or, you know, automotive repair, um, you know, uh, manufacturing, whatever the case may be. Right. Inside, outside sales, um, recruiting, consulting, any number of things. If you're going to school, if you're at university, if you're doing whatever the case may be, whether you're a recent graduate or you're just starting off in your professional career, one of the things that I found incredibly helpful early on was that I... How do I put this? Well, I think one of the things that flies below the radar is that when people move to a new area and they get connected with these businesses, right? Um, One of the things that I would encourage you to do as a young professional is get involved in subtype of after hour mixer, right? It doesn't have to have alcohol related to it. But what I think is really important is that, for example, I was working with a, when I got back to Texas, I ultimately found myself, um, after a couple of more trial and errors and a couple of more, you know, early, early career professional development points, I found myself involved in a company that was involved in chamber of commerce after our mixers right now. I had never done something like this before. So we were meeting with, um, you know, city officials. We were meeting with other business owners and other, um, store owners, other elected officials, that were focused on bettering a community. You know, one of them was Arlington, another one I think was Grand Prairie. And what was amazing about it was that once once a month, right, they would have these after-hour events where you would come together, you know, people would swap business cards, you'd, you know, you'd rub elbows with people, um, you know, in City Hall. But also, what I really loved was... I got to rub elbows with people and meet folks who were just starting off in their professional careers, who were entrepreneurs of sorts, who were younger professionals looking to build their network. And in some cases, I even met uh, freelancers, right? Now, I thought entrepreneurs and freelancers were the same thing, and I guess to a certain point they might be. But these cats that I'm going to refer to as freelancers, right? These guys had a job that helped pay the bills, but in their downtime, what they did was they took a skill or a hobby that they had. I think one of these cats was uh, really big into photography, right? Another one was into web design. And so in his downtime, he would actually help people build their websites or in some cases, set up the photography of this other cat would come in and he would help set up the photography and take professional photos to help um, 
them build their websites and leverage those skills and those networks that he had with the Chamber of Commerce to help his business grow. Now, the cool thing is too, is that even if you don't want to get into it for, you know, the business side of things, it's really good to stay in touch and keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on in your community. Because even if you don't have a direction and even if you're not tied up with the business at that point, if you're in some type of group, right, with, let's say, a chamber of commerce event, or even better still, let's say you're part of, you know, an alumni association, or let's say you're part of a, you know, special interest group in your local city, whether it be for charity, maybe you guys are all dog lovers, maybe you guys all love flying kites or, you know, drawing hopscotch patterns on the sidewalk. I don't know. I don't know, right? Something like that. It's very easy to find a community and a group that follows the same interests you do in the city you're in. Right, so you can you can tap into those those groups. You go to these mixers. You you know you 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 meet new folks in this area, um, in in whatever area that you're you're in. And by doing so, what you'll find is that not only do these people have the same interests in you as you, but they also have different industry paths, which is going to open up the doors of possibilities and opportunities that you're going to have. Because here's one of the other things that I did not realize in school until after I graduated. And a lot of the times in the professional world, it's not always what you know, it's who you know, right? Absolutely the case. Now, definitely what you know will be something to talk about when you're improving who you know. But again, you have to take that leap and you have to at some point realize that opportunities like this whether it be through the Chamber of Commerce or whether it be through networking that just maybe starts as simple as getting to know the people you work with, right? These are things that I wish I would have known in my earlier years, especially in school, because one of the biggest things that I purposely missed out on was I consistently chose to stay in and put my nose in the books instead of going out and refining my social skills, right? Excuse me, social skills. Can't talk today. Now, not to say that they're necessarily bad or they ever were, but there is something to be said about the person who takes a natural skill that they have and constantly refines it. You know, I, I've done martial arts for um, a lot of years. I mean, a lot of years. I, I started when I was a little kid, um, right before I left to do what I'm doing now. Um, I actually tested for, uh, my black belt in, I think the way it worked out, it was like two different disciplines at one time. Right. So I had been, I had already been an instructor at this point for a couple of years and I got a tremendous amount of fulfillment out of it. Right. I did not only because it was something that was helping me improve, but also something that was helping those around me with, because I taught kids and I taught adults, right? And and to see the, the personal development in them was incredible, right? So here's what I'm driving at with that. So you have to stay consistent in martial arts. You have to stay training. You have to stay fresh on it. Because while, it is, while a lot of it is muscle memory, 
if you're not consistently taking the time to train your body to make sure that it's in an optimal fighting form, if you're not taking care of your cardio, if you're not taking care of you know, your diet properly, it will perfect the, it will affect the performance that you're able to give, not only in this sport, but also in your training as well and in your overall life, right? So you can't just get to the top and be really, really good at your game and then not ever practice again. Like it doesn't, it's not a thing. You have to consistently work at it. You have to have it be part of something that you consistently practice. Otherwise, you lose the skill, right? Like I'm sure we've all heard the story of the the lumberjack that shows up for a job interview and he tells the guy, hey, you know, I'm here for work. Um, you know, I traveled all this way. I'd like a job. He's like, all right, well, you know, do you know how to, do you know how to chop down trees? He's like, yeah, I've been doing it for years. He's like, all right, cool. He's like, so what we're going to do is we're going to bring you on for, you know, a couple of days. And by the end of that, you know, couple of days, he said, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll bring you on. We'll decide whether or not we're going to hire you. And he was feeling really sure of himself. He's like, I don't even need two days. He's like, you give me a day. And you'll have all the information you need. I don't want to waste any more of your time if I don't need to. And he's like, you know what? I like that idea. Okay, so the guy gets starting on the job and he starts, you know, he's like, we'll go ahead and report back in tomorrow morning here and we'll start first thing bright and early and we'll get your assessment. He's like, all right, cool. So the lumberjack comes back and he starts off. He's there before the hiring guy, right? So let's just call him the hiring manager. He's there on site before the hiring manager is. And he's been there before the rest of the other tenured employees, right? So he's ready to go. And, you know, the guy who's hiring is like, all right, yeah, man, like that's, that's not bad. Okay, good start. So they start chopping trees and this guy is just going to town. Like he is dropping tree after tree after tree after tree. He is outperforming the majority of these cats that have been on this job site for however long, right? And he's going and he's going, he's, he's knocking down tree after tree after tree. And it gets to about midday and they stop for lunch and you know, he gets something to eat and they go back out and he's chopping and chopping and chopping. And then what happens is, is that these cats that he was passing up are not only catching up to him, but are leaving him behind in productivity. And they work until the sun goes down and then the hiring manager notices it. And he pulls the guy aside and he's like, man, he's like, dude, what happened? He goes, you were on fire this morning. He's like, you're dropping down more wood faster than anybody I've ever seen come to this job site in the previous years. Like what in the world happened? And he goes, I don't know. He said, I was, I was doing really well. I kept going. I, you know, I, I had my focus. I had my rhythm and I knew that nobody was going to outwork me. And I just kept going and going and going. And then after lunchtime, he goes, I just, you know, I faltered. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know why I fell behind. And the hiring manager kind of scratched his head and he looked at him. He's like, well, well let me see your ax. And the lumberjack gives him his ax and he looks at it and he goes, well, there's your problem. He said, for the better part of the afternoon, you've been chopping down trees with a, with a blunt ax. He's like, you need to sharpen it. This was news to him. Now, I mean, the lumberjack eventually, as I was told in the story, does get hired. But it's a key reminder. 
If you have a skill set, right? If you have this axe that you know how to wield, that you know how to leverage for your own benefit, if you know how to implement that tool in the right way, time after time after time after time again, that consistency is going to yield results. And you're going to look like a rock star. Absolutely, right? But if you don't take the time to sharpen your axe, if you don't take the time to hone in on your skills, the ones that you may be naturally gifted and born with, hard work by somebody else is going to outshine and outperform the natural talent that you neglected. You should think about that. So it's absolutely important that you refine the skills that you have. Don't be so caught up in being, you know, the subject matter expert in everything you do. Yes, there are fields that that is that is desired. Don't get me wrong. If I go to a doctor's office and I find out that my my physician spent more time partying in college than he did actually studying any He's just kind of like, he barely skated through, you know, the medical exams. Don't get me wrong. All right. Like, I've got test anxiety like you would not believe, right? I did. Now, I I got better at, you know, taking tests because I learned how to manage that. And I learned, you know, ways to give myself a better better fighting chance during those, those exams. But if I find out that, like, he got to be a doctor based on a technicality, Right. And this guy's got like a couple of lawsuits back behind him, like malpractice suits. Like, man, I am not sticking around. I want you to be a subject matter expert, because if I can't figure out what's going on and I know that WebMD is probably going to give me worse information than you ever could. I need you to be on your game. Right. If you're a lawyer and I, for some odd reason, run into legal trouble, I don't want you showing up to the day of court. And I'm like, hey, man, we got this in the books. And You're like, man, I hope so. Like, what do you mean? You're like, I don't know. I just I brushed up before I got here. So hopefully we win this. Good luck, man. I'm like, what do you mean good luck, man? I don't want you to give me a thumbs up. I want you to help me win. Like, come on. So there are times when you do need to put in that extra work. But at the same time, even those folks who have very strict disciplines, like doctors, lawyers, even craftsmen, do not get so wrapped up in your work that you forget to take a step back and find a hobby that is going to allow you to decompress, right? Mine at the beginning was martial arts and then it kind of became a lifestyle that bled into, you know, working out and lifting weights. Um, Again, I may not be the biggest guy in the world, but I know how to pull work in the gym and I know how to throw weight around and I know how to lift. And it is incredibly decompressing for me, especially after a long day of being on duty. And then I come back and I'm just like, man, I'm mentally shot, but I'm about to go tear the gym up. And then even beyond the physical exercise stuff, you know, find something that you are genuinely interested in. If you're a comic book guy, go, you know, go start collecting comics or something. You know, if you're a, if you're a person who truly, truly, truly loves collecting stamps. Go be the best stamp collector that you can. You know, my dad, for example, fantastic healthcare provider, right? One of his pride, one of his pieces of pride and joy was working on the yard when I was a kid. Like he, he loved working on the yard for, it was like therapeutic for him. I think, 
I can only surmise that because of the level of detail and attention and care that he gave to his yard would have led me to believe that this was like something that he really cared about and he really enjoyed doing. You know, the man won yard of the month too. It was kind of cool. And I remember being a kid, we'd go cruising around the neighborhood and he's like, oh, they won. And at first I thought it was just jealousy. I was like, I was like, yeah, it looked like they, you know, they worked kind of hard. And I kind of joked around with him one time. I was like, why? It looks like somebody's jealous. He's like, no. And then he starts breaking down the science about like what they did to their yard, like what was right, what was wrong. And like he knew his stuff, right? So he was passionate about it. So I would encourage you that in that early years, find something that is going to allow you to decompress, find a hobby, find, build a routine that is going to help you stay at your peak. Consistency will breed results always. And if you ensure that you're diversifying your time, not only between your professional, your personal, and your social development, and you make sure that you're approaching those things equally, it's one going to take your mind off of the uncertainty of the chapters ahead. And two, it's going to open you up to a lot of possibilities through those networking opportunities that are going to naturally arise when you meet the people that are interested in the same kind of things you are. Pretty cool, right? Now, I wanted you to keep in mind, too, that I am by no means a licensed psychologist. I'm not a licensed life coach. I'm not a licensed counselor. Any of that. I'm simply a guy that's been around the block a few times, and I know a thing or two because I've had to power through a thing or two before in my life. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the very first episode of The Early Insight. I look forward to the coming weeks when we're bringing you more and more content on some of the things to look out for. Whether you're a newly graduated student, whether you're coming up on that high school graduation, or you're a little bit closer to my age and you're looking to make a change in your life or start anew and you're uncertain about what the future holds, welcome to The Early Insight. And I look forward to giving you guys the tools to maybe help you see the world in a different perspective and maybe give you some of the insights that I learned the hard way that quite frankly, if my younger self knew half the stuff that I did now, that I do now, and the same for you, how much more gratitude would your younger express would your younger self express to your older self than vice versa if you were able to go back in time and go hey you know i'm really grateful for you powering through here's what i learned i guarantee you if your younger self knew half the things that you do now how much further ahead would they be Guys, thank you so much for joining me on the very first episode of The Early Insights. If you have any questions, concerns, want to interact with today's show, or even drop me a line to give me some feedback or some things that you have questions about, you're more than welcome to look us up on Instagram at The Early Insights Podcast. Drop me a DM. I am the one that looks over those uh, constantly. I cannot wait to see what you guys think about today's episode. I'm so excited to bring it to you and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves, guys. Later.